Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Happy Father's Day. Today is Father's Day. We're going to talk about knowing and loving the Father using the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. Father's Day, like Mother's Day, can be difficult for many to celebrate and observe, and we forget that many times. So we come in to celebrate fathers, but for many of us, or some of you, some of us, we may have an estranged relationship with a father. Maybe our father, we grew up, our father is our enemy. Someone that we do not get along with. One who's become an obstacle in our life. For some, maybe it was the absence of a father. We've had a father that was neglectful. Absent with work, choosing work over us. Or maybe it's the fact we live in the minimization of the role of fathers in which many would say that the father is not necessary any longer. Or Father's Day may be difficult for you or relationship with your father may be difficult because you dealt with the expectations of a father, one who is demanding or hard to please. And I myself can say that I've been that type of father many times in raising my children. You've heard me say, I recall one time as one of my children were in the teen years and they're coming to that change of life and where we're dealing with how to become you know, a parent where you're controlling all things to the point where you're coaching and you're letting them go. I remember in one instance, I finally said, listen, do you even know how to please me? And he said, no. That's like a punch in the stomach. And I realized I had not done the job that I thought I had. See, we think throwing down rules, throwing down all these things and putting these obstacles for them to hoops to jump and run through. We think that's parenting sometimes, but it's not. And what I have to share with us is that the job of a father is to point to our heavenly father. And we will fail many times. But yet to know and love your earthly father means that we communicate. That we come to know them and know their character. So if you are one of those ones that I mentioned and you find yourself suffering or struggling with Father's Day for any of those reasons, then I want to tell you today that we can know and love our earthly fathers. And that means celebrating your fathers, even in their weaknesses. And I will tell you, especially, I don't know so much, I can only speak for a son. As you grow older and you recognize your father's weaknesses, it can be uh, pretty, pretty chilling. It can be very, very difficult. We need to remember our fathers as God's personal gift to us. No matter what state they were, no matter what our relationship is, they are God's gift to us. We need to work towards getting to know them and to love them. And lastly, I want to share, I want to encourage you to find comfort if your father is no longer here, as mine is and Dawn, as if they passed away, is remembering them with love and encouragement. But then we want to talk about knowing and loving our Heavenly Father. The key to knowing and loving our Heavenly Father is similar to our earthly fathers. It, It involves communication, listening understanding his character, getting to know the person behind the the personality or the the relationship. 
And our Heavenly Father has given us many ways to do this, not only involved in church community, but also in Bible reading and studying the Bible, meditating on His Word through fasting and many other spiritual disciplines. But the main one I believe that He gives us is prayer. Reminds me of a story who, uh, where a minister dies and he's waiting in line at the pearly gates. Ahead of him is a guy who's dressed in sunglasses, a loud Hawaiian shirt, leather jacket, and jeans. Peter says to the guy, who are you so, they may, so that I may know whether or, not you, or whether or not to admit you into the kingdom of heaven? And the man replies, hey, I'm Joe. I'm a taxi driver from New York City. Peter consults his list and he smiles and says to the cab driver, well, take this silken robe and this golden staff and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now it's the minister's turn who's been impatiently waiting behind him. He stands erect and he booms out, I am Robert, pastor of Old First Church for the last 40 years. Peter consults his list. He says to the minister, well, here, take this cotton robe and this wooden staff and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, just a minute, the, master, the minister boomed. This man was a taxi driver and he gets a silken robe and a golden staff. And I've been a pastor serving the Lord for over 40 years and I just get a simple cotton robe and a wooden staff. What's going on? How can this be? St. Peter simply said, Harry, we up here we work with results. While you preached, people slept. While this guy drove, people prayed. <laughs> Some of you know who you're talking about here. You know, there's some common misconceptions about prayer. You see them here on the monitor. Some believe prayer is like a magic wand. It's a mystical device for, super, for the superstitious. God is like your personal genie. It's just like a magic wand and we pull it out when we need to. Some prayer is like a first aid kit or a fire alarm used only in emergencies. And all of a sudden you'll see that. And unfortunately, in, in times of emergencies or national disasters, then everyone's talking about prayer. Prayer maybe for many is a last resort. Has it come to that? I got to now pray. We tried everything else, I guess. Last resort. To some prayer is like a tug of war. It's a game played with God to convince him to do something for you that you want and in your timing. You give God your best sales pitch. Listen, God, look at what I've done. So give me this. It's like we're in negotiations with God. To many, prayer is just a duty. I should pray more. And then we feel guilty when we feel like we haven't prayed. Let me ask you, you don't have to answer out loud, but have you ever struggled with prayer? Are there times you don't feel like you pray enough? Are you like me? Do you feel, ever feel guilty about your prayer life? Feeling like it should be longer, more effective, more involved? Are you ever at a loss as to just what to say in your prayers? In a book called A Simple Way to Pray, it is stated that after Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, Jesus and Paul, the German reformer Martin Luther is indeed the most powerful among the eminent men who had ever had a genius for prayer. It is recorded that Luther spent much of his time in prayer. The historical records showed that Luther prayed four hours each day. Now, if you're like me, that just puts you more into despair and despondency. We all have read and heard of examples of men and women who were great prayer warriors that led us to despair of our own prayer efforts and prayer discipline. We bemoan the command of the Apostle Paul who commanded us to pray without ceasing. And we wonder, how can we do that? What should I say? 
We wonder how could we ever attain to such a lofty goal. James, the brother of Jesus, informs us that the prayer of a righteous man has great prayer at its working. And we long for that. We long for our prayers to seem like they're working. I remember the story of one of my pastors uh, years and years ago when he was a youth pastor. One of his young men came to him and said, listen, I, I want to pray longer. I want to pray more powerful. I just, I feel like I need to pray longer. And the youth pastor didn't really know how to encourage him or what to say. And finally went to his pastor and said, what, what should I tell this young man? The pastor said, well, simply this. You know what? This young man will pray longer when he needs to pray longer. When he has more of a love for God. That's really the simple answer. I suppose you could discipline yourself to sit down and pray longer or get on your knees, but when it really comes down to it, we're going to converse with God. We're going to bring ourselves to listen to God when we yearn more to know Him and love Him. And so that's the call when we think about praying. In our study through First and Second Peter over the last year, year, two years, We've come to understand that you and I are called to endure with joy the suffering and persecution that you and I as Christians, as believers, are going to receive from a world and a culture that's hostile to our faith. We understand that you and I must be alert to false teachers and the manipulation of the teachings of Christ and the apostles and that we're to be faithful to the word of God. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter that you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who will cause division. And worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and, he writes, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting, remember that word from 2 Peter, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We're to keep ourselves in the most holy faith. We're to be praying in the Holy Spirit. God has ordained that prayer would be the most important, one of the most important spiritual disciplines that a Christian must exercise and excel in to grow in maturity and confidence as a child of God. It is through prayer that we find strength and comfort and confidence to continue in the faith, especially during those trying, difficult times. But still, the question remains, how do we pray with confidence? How do we become more effective in our prayer? Well, the disciples had the same issue. They had the same questions. After Jesus told them how not to pray, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Their desire was to, to know and love the Father more, to, to understand how to use this wonderful discipline. And in Matthew chapter 6, we read it earlier, but I want to look at it again here in the monitor. Jesus gave them these, them these instructions. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you open up our hearts and our minds. Let us desire to know and to love you more. And Father, let us look and see as we come to understand the discipline of prayer. I believe most of us desire a stronger, more effective prayer life. So Father, open our minds and hearts to your word. I pray that we would respond to your word 
as you've called us to, we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Through this passage of scripture, we're going to look at, for the next two weeks, six simple phrases. I was going to do this all in one week, but knowing how I am, I finally said, you know what, I'm just going to divide it right then and there. So we're going to look at these six simple phrases where you and I will get a beautiful, wonderful picture of the Father's character, of His kingdom, and His provision for His children. I want to spend some time this morning learning six ways that you and I can pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. Landon read this scripture reading earlier. I know we usually call the Lord's Prayer that which is found in Matthew 6, but in, but in John chapter 17, you really see Jesus' prayer to the Father. And in here, we see how Jesus models how to pray to the Father using what we would call the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to look at the top three, the first three this, this morning. And the first one, let's just get right into it. The first way that you and I are to pray the Lord's Prayer is to acknowledge the Father's character. Acknowledge the Father's character. He says, our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. There's an acknowledgement starting right off. Jesus teaches disciples that the first order of any prayer is worship, praise, and adoration. It is the acknowledging the holiness of the almighty creator of heaven and earth. Look with me at John chapter 17. Look at verse 1. Jesus, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given me, and this is eternal life that they, they, they I'm doing this now, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Look at verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus acknowledges the Father's character. He acknowledges that God is his Father. There is a special relationship between Jesus and himself, just as there is between us as children of God and the Heavenly Father. He acknowledges that it's his responsibility to glorify the Father in all things, not himself. It's not about him but it's about the Father. And then we see that he also acknowledges that the Father is the only true God. I highly recommend declaring the greatness of God in your prayers. Generally, we start right into our request, maybe with the dear Heavenly Father or our dear Lord. But I would, I would encourage you to start right off with praise and adoration, acknowledging the greatness and wonderfulness of God, acknowledging His holiness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his steadfast love. Pastor Milton Vincent captures well when he writes, My God is immense beyond imagination. He measured the entire universe with merely the span of his hand. He is unimaginably awesome in all of his perfections, absolutely righteous, holy, and just in all his ways. He has also been unbelievably good and merciful to me as the creator and sustainer of my life. And sure, that's wordy, but these are phrases in which it brings to mind and as we acknowledge who God is. You and I need a constant reminder that He is God, Yahweh the Father, the I Am, and you and I are not. And this is a daily battle that you and I must uh, have in our mind that He is the Father, that He is God. 
Acknowledging the character of the Father helps us to do that. It reminds us of who He is and understanding who He is. You and I can think of it. You've ever asked this, your kids come to you and you know, say, I know you're going to say no, but then they ask, right? Have your children do that to you or done it yourself? But yeah, you start off, oh, dear Father, thank you for bringing home the bacon. You have been such a good, you know, there's a sense of buttering up, though we're not doing a spiritual butter up, but we're understanding who God is. We're understanding the relationship, the connectedness of who he is, but also acknowledging the goodness and the character of the father helps us to combat the battle plan of Satan, who spends his time denying and causing doubt in our minds that God is good that God's word is truthful and that God loves us. And we spent some time over the last year, two years, sharing with you that's what Satan did at the garden. That's what Satan did with Jesus. That's what Satan does with all of us. He wants to just sow doubt that God's word is not true, that God is not good, and that God does not love us or have our best interests at heart. So acknowledging the goodness and the wonderful traits that the Bible reveals about God, these are the ways in which we come and we orient our mind. And I would encourage you, the Psalms are wonderful ways to understand that. If you're struggling with understanding the character and revealing with God of knowing those words, I would, I would bring you to the Psalms. Even when we're doubting God, even when we're struggling with God, we should come and acknowledge His goodness that he's the creator and sustainer of all things. It also reminds us that he's the almighty creator of the universe, that he is our father. He's not some absent father. He's not some demanding father. He's not a father who, who does not care or does not, uh, that is absent from us or doesn't matter. As children of God, you and I can now approach our Father with confidence and boldness, understanding that you and I have a special relationship with the Father. The Apostle Paul declares that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Some have defined that to mean Daddy, and I would say that that's not an appropriate or the proper term. That's, that's more of an infantile reproach to God. But think of it more as Papa. It's an affectionate term of love that shows uh, uh, respect and a special relationship. Now that was contrary to the Jewish mind in those days. But what do you think of God today? When you come before him, how do you think of him? Do your prayers acknowledge the holy character of God? Do your prayers show a submission to God and of the relationship that you have? So not only should we acknowledge the Father's character, is that the next second thing that we need to see is we need to advance the Father's kingdom in our prayer. Advance the Father's kingdom. Look at the second simple phrase there in the Lord's saying. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sim simple phrase. But again, he's thinking about advancing God's kingdom. Jesus understands that he is on earth to accomplish the Father's will and plan. 
We see throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry that he was constantly battling those who wanted to use Jesus for their own purposes. Those that wanted to make him king. Those who wanted to use him, uh, his influence to overthrow the Roman government or to enhance their own influence and power. Even today, political parties and all sorts of people try to use Jesus for their own purposes. And we forget that we're, it's not about our agenda no matter how right and proper we feel it is. It's about advancing the mission that God has given us. Jesus understood that. Look at John chapter 17, 4. Jesus said, I glorified you, continuing in his prayer, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested, made known your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus, in this simple prayer, his mission was to accomplish the work that the Father gave him to do. And what was that mission? To give eternal life. Jesus had laser-like focus. He was single-minded. He knew exactly what he was called to do. He did not use his influence, his popularity, his power for anything else. In the temptation, we see Satan continually three times tries to do that. But each time, Jesus fights against it. Jesus' desire was to make manifest or to make known the Father's name, not for his name to grow, but that the Father's name, his goal was to point them to the Father. And even here we see in this prayer that Jesus was aware that the elect, the disciples, and those that would become the disciples' disciples, and so on to you and I, was given to him by the Father. They were the Father's first, and the Father gave them. He advanced the Father's kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Like Jesus, you and I are called to be on mission as ambassadors of Christ. And as ambassadors of Christ, you and I are charged with proclaiming the ministry of reconciliation to the world. In doing so, we're to glorify the Father. We can be reconciled. We can have peace with the Father. We're not to be distracted from the missions by the cares of the world, nor the love of the world, nor the things of the world. The Apostle Paul warns us in 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Too many times, and I'm guilty of this, we use our prayers to push our own agenda only to be discouraged, disappointed, and displeased when our prayers and our petitions go unanswered. Gordon MacDonald, in his book, Ordering Your Private World, he writes these words. He writes, we live in a society that is reasonably organized. Put a letter in a box, and it usually ends up where you want it to go. Order an item from a catalog, which you could tell the age of this, or order from Prime Amazon, I'll put that on there. And it usually comes to you in the right size, color, and model. Ask someone to provide you a service and it's reasonable to expect that it will work out the way that you anticipate. In other words, we are used to results in response to our arrangements. That is why our prayers, he writes, can be discouraging for some of us. 
How can we predict the results? We are tempted to abandon prayer as a viable exercise and then we try to get results ourselves because the answers to our prayers are unpredictable. It's not like Amazon Prime. It's not like the post office. It's not going to a restaurant and getting your order. But he goes on to write this. But the fact is that my prayer life cannot be directly tied to the results I expect or demand. I have had many opportunities by now to see the things that I want God to do in response to my prayers can be, and he's writing this personally, unhealthy for me. I have begun to see that. As you look on the monitor, he says that worship and intercession are far more the business of, and you might even want to write this down in your notes or in your Bible, the business of aligning myself with God's purposes rather than asking him to align with me. So what is prayer? We use prayer as just a Christmas wish list. Lord, do this. Answer this prayer. Do this. Do this for me. I need this to happen. But when we look at prayer is not about trying to get God aligned with me. And that's usually what we do. God, you don't understand. This is what I need. This is what I need to have happen. But what prayer is, is an opportunity for me to align myself with what God is doing. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that's one reason that we do not have our prayers answered. Because many times the things that we're praying could be unhealthy for us. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Harry Newman says it best when he writes, and I have this on the monitor as well, prayer is a radical conversion of all of our mental processes. Because in prayer we move away from ourselves, our worries and our preoccupations and look at this last word, and self-gratification. And we direct all that we recognize as ours to God. All that I have, all that I own, all that I am to God in simple trust that through his love, all will be made new. See, there needs to be some mental adjustments, some attitude readjustments in how we pray and how we think and how we look at the world and how we consider the things of God. One of my favorite songs that we've been singing, it's an old hymn. I ask the Lord that I may grow. And I shared this with you several weeks ago. In it, the, the, John Newton, who was a slave trader, we could imagine the, his conscience after he came to know Christ. He could hear in the night the cries of those that he knows died on his ship as he took them from, from one place to the next to sell them. And he had to deal with this the rest of his life and in anguish many times, Lord, take this away from me. He says, Lord, take this sin away from me. And in the verse, you may recall, and I think we'll sing it next week as we go through this passage, is you recognize that God did not answer that because he wanted the evil, the sin in our heart to have its due course. Why? He says, because the prayer that, G that I answer is that of grace and faith. Pray that God will give you grace to make it one more day. 
Pray for a greater measure of faith that you may trust God in the midst of your suffering and your trial and in your battle of sin. And you call my testimony, when we first sung that song at a conference, it put me down on my seat as I realized my prayers have been so self-centered. That's my challenge to you. For Jesus says, your kingdom come. And that's one reason we have adopted Matthew 6.33 as our vision statement here at OVBC. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The promise then is all these things will be added to you. What are those things? Those things that we desire, those things that we need for life, shelter and food, so on and so forth. Let me end with this in this second one, they advancing the Father's kingdom. You and I need to understand this. We need to be taken by the shoulders sometimes and shaken and our faces pointed towards Scripture. When he says that our time and our energies and our material resources should be prioritized in order to advance the kingdom of God, not our own. And so yes, we have agendas. Yes, we have ministries. Yes, we have things that we want to do, but make sure they're aligned with God. And they can be. And I believe God will use them to advance the kingdom of God. So let me ask, what do your prayers say about your mindset? What does it say about your priorities? Are they God-centered? Are they single-minded on the purposes of God? Or are they divided, distracted, or dismissing the very things of God? So we're to acknowledge the Father's character. We're to advance the kingdom of the Father. Then thirdly, we need to accept the Father's provision. The next simple phrase in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is give us this day our daily bread. And as we look at John chapter 17, look at verse 7, Jesus now begins to petition the Father for provisions. Not first, but he comes to it later. He gives word to the truth that all good things come to the Father. Look at verse 7 of John 17. Jesus praying says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and they have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. What do we see in this passage? Jesus recognized that everything comes from God. The good, the bad, the just, the unjust, is all these things are ordained and used for God's glory and for our good. That Jesus understood that, Jesus, that, that the disciples, or Jesus gave the disciples the words that God gave him. And Jesus testifies that he himself, the most wonderful gift of love, to rebellious people came from the Father. We had many songs this morning from Child of God, How Deep the Father's Love, to rejoice about a wonderful Father who loves us. And I want you to understand that is, is your Father has your good in mind. And sometimes we may struggle with that concept because maybe our relationship with our, heaven, our earthly Father wasn't such. But let me tell you, we have a heavenly Father that loves us, desires good for us. James, the half-brother of Jesus and the head elder at the Church of Jerusalem in the first century wrote in his letter, 
that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And our prayers should acknowledge and accept that everything that we have is a gift from God. I remembered of the old movie, you've heard me said it before, from Shenandoah. Good movie. James Stewart is this. Anyone know the movie Shenandoah? Shenandoah. All right, I'll give you so much of you know. Story of Civil War. The, his, his wife uh, was a Christian, but she died in childbirth. He has many children. He's a father trying to keep his family safe in Virginia during the Civil War, trying to be neutral. Uh, and obviously things are going on, but he's a farmer. He's sitting down at the beginning of the movie with his children, and they tell him, don't forget to pray. So he's trying to raise his children as his beloved wife would have. But he's not a believer. He sits down to pray, and he says, well... We cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. But in there, he reckoned, he th in his mind, I did all of these things, so I guess I'm going to thank you for it, but I don't know really why. But again, the gospel primer rightly declares this. And I want you to think about this, maybe for the first time, truly consider this. These are things that you and I take for granted. Every breath, every heartbeat, every function of every organ in our body is a gift from God. Every legitimate pleasure that you experience is a gift from his loving hand to me. All that I am and all that I have, I owe to him and to his goodness. My life in every way is and will continue to be utterly dependent upon him in whom I live and move and have my being. And my concern here is there may be some of us today that do not believe that. We believe that we've made it on our own by our own strength, by the, by the strength of our back, by the industriousness of our hands, by the intellect. But even all those things are God's gift. We see that in Psalms, that he planned out our lives, that he, he gave us each and every one of us our being, our personalities. There is nothing that you and I have. You cannot contain or maintain your, your uh, breathing or your oxygen other than just a gift from God. Things just work because God makes them work. And you and I need to come into our prayer life and acknowledge this, to consciously pray this way, reminds us not only of the goodness of God and his gift to us each and every moment, but also it gives us our dependency upon the Almighty. One of my favorite prayers is found in Proverbs 30. You can see it here on the monitor. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7, it says, two things I ask of you. This is the prayer of the of the proverb. Deny them, not before, or deny them not to me before I die. Give me these two things. One, remove far from me falsehood and lying. May that be true. But look at the second one. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and you say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Our prayers ought to look to the provision of God. And you and I need to accept the fact that everything that we have, everything that we enjoy is a gift 
from the Father's hands to his children. I'm afraid many times we forget that. Our prayers do not reflect that mindset. Yes, there are times, but not generally. Jesus recognized that this was an important part of the relationship, the communication that we have. And teaching his disciples to pray daily for their bread. He is teaching us to go to the Father every day. You and I need to come to the Father every day to ask for more grace, peace, power, and faith. Scripture tells us he gives us what we need for today, not for tomorrow. And we need to quit worrying about tomorrow and just be concerned with today. That's what he says in Matthew 6. Sufficient is the grace for today. This way, you and I, when we do this, we proclaim our dependence on him as true children should. Pastor John Piper in his book, What Does Jesus Demand from the World? And I'd recommend it. 40 Things That Jesus Demands from the World. You can get it on free, by the way, as a PDF on his website. It's a great 40 things. I think it's 40 things that Jesus demands from the world. He writes this. You'll see it on the screen. He says, prayer is designed by God to display God's fullness and our need. Prayer glorifies God because it puts us in the position of the thirsty and God in the position of the all-supply fountain. He goes on to write that God's insistence that we ask him to give us help so that he gets the glory forces on us the startling fact that we must beware of serving God and taking special care to let him serve us lest we rob him of any glory. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, Paul in his message at Mars Hills in Athens declared to those that worshipped many gods that Yahweh is the God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Our prayers should reflect that same attitude. God in his goodness provided all that we need each and every day. And I know that may be difficult because you're looking here today and you say, but you don't understand. There are times that I don't know where my next meal comes from. I don't know where my next bill is going to come from or how I'm going to pay that. And you may look at someone that's sitting next to you and everything seems to be okay for them. They're living life large to you. And in the same way, they're looking at someone else saying that they live better than I. But let me share with you that all things may not be fair. We have to realize this. We look in life at wanting to be fair. But we must must trust that God is good and righteous and just. And that's very difficult for us. We want to take things from God all the time and say, no, this is the standard. I will share with you that when we do that is where we go astray. That's what Eve did. That's what Adam did. And thrown us all into this rebellion that each of us have. But our prayers should reflect the same attitude. Accepting the Father's provision is the antidote, listen to this, 
Accepting God, the Father's provision, is an antidote to the arrogance that flows in our hearts that says daily, I am God. I want what I want. You may say here, I have no arrogance. You may want to look again. We need to come to the place where we understand that God gives us all that we need, accepting the concept that God gives us all things. So let me ask you, are your prayers filled with a respectful, childlike faith that requests the things of God, that gives glory for the things that you have? Or are they demands and accusations? Do you come to God like an angry person saying, you haven't given me this. You need this. I need this. Do this for me. And are you finding yourself discouraged and doubting the goodness of God? Comes with the right attitude when we come before prayer. We're going to stop here for today and I'm going to cover the last three next week. I encourage you to be here as we continue in these simple phrases that Christ has given us. And we're going to learn how to utilize the Lord's Prayer for God's glory and for our good. In conclusion, I want to ask each one of you to commit to this this week. In your prayer, acknowledge the Father's character. Understand, get into God's Word, figure out what it is. How has God revealed Himself? Advance the Father's kingdom. Check and see which way. Is, is your agenda and God's agenda on the same plane or are you battling there? And then accept the Father's provision. Father, these are the things that I accept what you give me with humbleness and with joy. I think of Fanny Crosby, famous gospel writer back in the 1800s. She wrote a lot of, I don't know if she wrote Greatest I Faithfulness, but she wrote very many. She was blind from birth, I believe. And everyone always said, don't you want to be given your sight? Don't you pray for your sight to be restored? And her answer simply was no, no. Why, why don't you want your sight now? You could do so much. And she wrote hundreds of hymns and spiritual songs. And she said something to the effect, because if I continue to be blind in this world, it has helped me to focus on God. But more than that, she says, I understand. And I hope and rejoice in the fact that the very first face that I will ever, ever see is the face of Jesus, God my Father. Whose face do you see early in the morning? Whose face do you see at night? Whose face do you see in the troubling times? Whose face do you see in those times of rejoicing? Would you commit to acknowledging the Father's kingdom? Advancing the Father's, acknowledge the Father's character, advancing the Father's kingdom, and accept the Father's provision. With the worship team coming up, I just ask for you just for a moment to bow your head and close your eyes real quickly. I'd like to ask you to just take a moment to pause, to consider what the scripture has to say. Would you pray and take a moment and just ask, Father, would you help me to respond? this message. In what ways do I fail to acknowledge you? Well, how should I do so? 
I want to commit to advancing your kingdom. Show me, Father, am I serving you? Or, or can I need to accept the Father's? Do I need to see that all things come from God? Would you consider that this morning? Would you pray and respond? And in your prayers this week, would you commit to making prayer a priority in your life? Father, we ask for your grace to do such things. We're not sufficient of ourselves. We know that our prayer lives many times are a mess. They can be inconsistent. They can be non-existent. Father, they can be a struggle. They can be times in which we desire more, but then we just begin to daydream and we just many times just don't even know what to say. But I thank you for your word and for scripture. I thank you for your son who not only came and made, gave us eternal life, but gave us a way to model that prayer. Father, in this spiritual discipline of prayer, I pray that you would make us effective. Father, make it a priority in our lives. And let us see, Father, that you've called us to pray in such a way that glorifies you. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.